Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life. Conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is the art of a good movie. A conversation about movies as an art form, their value for Catholics, and for all people, no matter who they are, and specifically, we're talking to... Uh, a special guest about this. But before I introduce the special guest, my co-host and resident geek and movie, uh, <laughs> amateur movie critic, can we call you that? I, I guess so. Is okay. Ryan Boxgalliot over here in the corner. Hello. Welcome, Ryan. And our special guest, all the way from the US of A, Stephen Graydanis of Decent Films and many other manifestations. Hello, Stephen. Hi, it's good to be here. Before we get started on today's topic, I want to talk about why we've invited Stephen to the show. Stephen uh, is a movie critic. Probably a movie critic who happens to be Catholic is a better way to describe it. Uh, and Stephen has posted many, many reviews uh, in very, very different forums, actually. When I did a, a like a rundown of all the different places you've posted things and been working for, it's a pretty amazing spread, to be honest. Hmm. Um, but the, the key one is decentfilms.com, where most of his stuff is, and we'll talk about that a bit later. He's uh, hosted an award-winning cable TV show called Real Faith. Uh, a terrible dad joke, which means he must be a father. <laughs> Real faith. And he's a film critic for the National Catholic Register and the owner of the Decent Films website. So I'll, before we get started, I wanted to start with a story, just a really brief one about Father Richard Leonard SJ in Australia, who's one of our film critics and um, uh, he he writes for several Australian publications. And he told a story once when he gave us a talk about this, saying that there's a group of nuns, like quite a lot of nuns in different nunneries around Australia, who sincerely pray for him specifically and only that he's not corrupted by what he watches. <laughs> there seems to be this decent, like this, this Catholic idea that you know, oh, oh, a, a priest or or someone from the Catholic Church is going into the into the movie world where there's filth and yuck, and mm. and we've got to pray for him that he doesn't get corrupted by it. He was tickled by this, and um, I. Assuming from prior exchanges that I've seen happen on Facebook, Stephen, that you're also tickled by the notion. Um, do you get that over there much? That people think of movies as a kind of a a bad influence on us. You know, I've always thought of myself as a translator, and one of the reasons why I wanted to begin writing about film from a Catholic point of view is. I didn't see anyone else doing the kind of writing that I was interested in. I have religious friends and I have cinema friends and I felt like they didn't really understand each other. And what I really wanted to do was to try to write for my cinema friends in a way that would say, hey, there are ways of engaging the world of cinema from a religious point of view other than counting swear words and inches <laughs> of cleavage and so forth. But but also, but also to say to my religious friends, you know, there are ways of engaging movies, you know, that we can we can look for for things in movies other than just what's the what's the edifying message and, you know, potentially see a value in, for instance, even an R-rated movie other than The Passion of the Christ, mm, yep. that kind of thing. Yeah, right. that's a really interesting point, that, and especially the ratings thing. I mean, you're referring there, I, or at least I've seen an example of what you're referring to there in um, IMDb when I go to the parental sort of screen, and it lists off, you know, this many words said starting with this letter and mm -hmm. this many, and and at this point in the, in the movie, you see, you know, a, a tiny little bit of um, skin that you shouldn't have. Whereas, I mean, it reminds me of a time I was about to go into a movie 
and I'm a bit of a wuss with, I don't like horror or any of these sorts of things, but I, I was about to go into a movie with a bunch of blokes. We'd arranged this thing and someone texted me just before I went in. They said, watch out, don't go into this movie because the Catholic guys shouldn't see it because there's someone uh, showing the top off in the movie. And I went, uh, look, I bought the tickets. I'm just walking in. I didn't see anything in the reviews, so I went in and mm. saw it. And to be honest, I came out at the end horrified. I, the movie had such a deep, horrific effect on me, not because of that. In fact, I had to think back and go, <laughs> when was that? I, I don't think I – and it was in the background, in the way in the background of a scene where something horrific and violent was happening in the foreground. And I remember being – I couldn't sleep, literally couldn't sleep for a couple of days after this movie. It was so horrible to me. Just to me, probably the other guys wouldn't be as traumatized, but just the concepts of it were so horrific. The fact that friends had watched it and worried about, you know, a topless person in the background worried me more. <laughs> the <laughs> fact that they hadn't, you know, they're looking past all this graphic violence and yeah. awful stuff and quite bleak messages um, to, to get to, you know, that just, that bothered me a lot, I think, that we focus so unhealthily on some things and not on others. Yeah, and and it's it's interesting because we all there there are things that affect us emotionally, and then there are things that affect us in other ways ah, that shape our worldview, that hmm. um, that that shape how we respond to to people, um, that that limit our empathy by focusing it on some things and not on other things. Right, and um, you know. One of the things that I find helpful is to really take a kind of a a, a health check um, to to think about my soul for you know after after watching a movie to and and you know there are so many different things that that you deal with and as a film critic I have to I have to think of myself sometimes um, the same way that you might if you were say a clinical social worker or a garbage man or a right. medical professional you know you are dealing with some harsher realities and there is a certain desensitizing that happens and there's nothing wrong with that but you also want some kind of remedial or, or restorative mm. regimen so right. you know at the end of the day, the garbage man hopefully takes a long hot shower. Uh, <laughs> so, what's your confessor. long hot shower then? What's your long hot shower? Is it a good good movie, or is it uh, you know reading a good book? Or I, uh, well, it, it can be it can be a bunch of things. It can be going to spend uh, an hour in front of the Blessed Sacrament. It oh, can wow. be mm. moderating my overall artistic diet um, by by looking for what I call um, antidote type films, films <laughs> yeah. that f just focus on wholesome characters doing positive things in life and right. that's you know that that those are well the fact that you found it, them uh, i'm impressed yeah <laughs> <laughs> i do something similar obviously not to the scale that you do stephen but uh i look at video games and tv shows for a lot of friends that uh want to speak to their kids about it or their kids want to speak to their parents about it and uh i found that my long hot shower is the uh the art that i get to to make in between reviews or conversations because I'm an artist myself. And I find, find that that also helps to inform how I view mm. uh, and review movies, I guess. A bit of background on that one. Um, Ryan wrote his honors thesis on beauty in computer games leading us to God. And so um, I'm intrigued. I'd love to hear a conversation between you two about beauty in movies and beauty as a like a visual art as a thing that leads us to God. Um, do you see that in your reviews and in your, your critique of movies, Stephen? 
Oh, oh yeah, yeah. One one of my guiding lights is a two part document from 1955 from uh, Pope Pius XII. Um, his his addresses on the ideal film, which were given to <laughs> representatives <laughs> of the film world, the Italian film world. Of course, Pius XII. Uh, that's where I would have gone for look <laughs> her movie. <laughs> go, go ahead. It's it's. It's it's there's a really wonderful meditation on on what cinema is capable of and what he connects it to is the idea of the of the transcendental qualities mm. of the true the good and the beautiful wow which yeah. he describes as um, um, refractions across the prism of consciousness from the realm of being that extends upward infinitely to being itself which is God. Wow. Um, to, to put that more briefly, he calls goodness, truth, and beauty a ray of God. And he says to filmmakers, the, the average person at the end of the day, just looking to unwind, looking to relax, looking to restore themselves, watching a movie, what are they really looking for? They're looking for some semblance, some sign, some uh, token of goodness, truth, and beauty, a ray of God. Yep. And, and that... And and that is what I look for with, of course, the caveat that goodness, truth, and beauty in our fallen world can come in some very unexpected forms. Yeah, it certainly can. And that was that was going to be my next point, that it's it's no good having – in fact, those movies or – I mean, my kids have these Disney movies, right? And there's, right. And even Disney movies now have a dark edge to them. But some of the really early stuff is just – it's all ray, if you like. It's it's all the ray of light, and it just doesn't seem plausible or or interesting because you've come through the darkness during the day and you've struggled with the day. In some respects, you need the darkness to make the light shine. Hmm. Here, here's the paradox: truth includes lies because lies are part of the world. In order to tell the truth about the world, you have to tell the truth about lies, and so lies are part of the picture. Right. Beauty can include ugliness. That's right. You can tell a beautiful story that incorporates ugly realities. Telling the story of goodness in the world includes goodness confronting evil, and so you need evil in order to tell the truth about goodness. Mm. I, I found that, uh, especially in light of that, we spoke on a previous episode about fantasy and science fiction, about how uh, these types of narratives speak to the human experience and the this, these concepts that are fundamental, but cinema these days, as as a modern type of storytelling, I I think also harken back to the notion of mythology. Um, especially, it's it's very clear in something like the the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that we have these mythological kind of archetypes up there, and so there's this this, I guess, this essence of it of of this. How do I connect with I guess the meta narrative? that I subscribe to through this film or, you know, what themes are there that help me understand something of myself. And it may even be teaching us, teaching a lot of people things about themselves and about the world without them knowing, because I'm sure, I'm sure that a lot of people are going to Marvel Cinematic Universe. They're not going, hmm, what philosophical truths oh, no. will we <laughs> contemplate today? They're going, right. whiz bang, Captain America punching someone in the face. So... <laughs> Yeah, and, and that, that, that kind of thing does happen most effectively when it happens without your conscious awareness. Mm. I think, you know, the, the MCU as mythology goes is a rather impoverished um, mm. universe. Mm. I, I think older stories like Star Wars oh, yeah. and The Lord of the Rings and, you know, if you go back further, um, Westerns and, and a lot of stuff that you see in 
uh, Studio Ghibli and in Pixar, oh, um, yeah. there's there's some really really rich veins of meaning and and motifs that have sustained the souls of a lot of people, of a lot of kids who've grown up with that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know. I certainly uh, for, for me. Um, uh, Star Wars was, uh, was, was a huge thing. And, and the story is still being told, but I don't find in the modern films, the films that Disney is making, the kind of thematic richness that you have in the original series. No. So we're, we're at something of a, um, uh, an, an interesting point in our, our um, mainstream Hollywood culture where uh, Disney is kind of dominating pop culture storytelling, but I don't find them telling stories that resonate the way for my children that a lot of the stories that I grew up did for me. Is it is it a kind of a, a two-edged sword that we've got here that the movies have become so good at digitally creating realities and, and presenting them that, that look real? Like we're almost fooled by some of the things. Some of the, the live action sort of Disney movies that they're remaking look amazing and yet their rewrite of the scripts are absolutely pathetic in terms of their actual presentation of a story. But it seems that they're putting so much money into it that they are their ability to take risks lowers at the same proportion that the money goes up. So the more money they spend on a movie, the less they can actually take a risk with the plot and actually do something a little bit challenging. Um, now you might be able to know this better than I did, but I heard that James Cameron's movie Avatar had a much more complicated plot to it when they first wrote it, and they. May they flattened it out. They made it much more simple because they just didn't want to take the risk on put, putting people off with the complications. Well, you know, I first of all, just let me say, I'm a fan of Avatar. I, I like with with I, I I like it a lot. I, I think it's you know it certainly is it's a shallow movie. Oh yes, but <laughs> but within its shallowness, on its level, it's it's really quite powerful and really very expertly done. Yeah, he taps into. Everything from Star Wars to Dances with Wolves to his own Aliens movie to so many other things. And he does it with such skill. He doesn't say anything very profound, but he says it so well. Um, And and he really, you know, there is, again, uh, there's, there's a shallowness to it, but there's a spirituality to Avatar that goes deeper than anything I find in most of, not necessarily all of, but most of the Marvel Cinematic Mm. Universe. Mm. Uh, One of the things that I find most interesting about Avatar, for instance, is that as much as the Na'vi, this this race of of blue-skinned aliens living in peace and harmony with nature, they really kind of evoke a a baby boomer Woodstock generation beatnik vibe in in all ways except one they they're absolutely monogamous they're there's there's no free love among the navi they are Mm. they 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 bond sexually for life and they're completely faithful to one another and and i find that interesting that cameron includes almost that kind of critique toward what is otherwise the obvious cultural milieu uh, in which the film is steeped yeah, that's it. that's that's it. I hadn't thought of that before, and that's a really interesting one because it's almost like he had to put it in an alien race to make it acceptable. Yeah, 
That's a very good point. Sometimes, sometimes we need that. We need that context. We need that distance um, in order to in order to critique ourselves. You can mm-hmm. you can idealize something when it doesn't directly challenge you, and that is one of the things that art does. It gives us a little bit of distance. You see that all the time in Star Trek mm-hmm. by. Uh, externalizing various aspects of human nature and human culture onto an alien planet, an alien race, an alien civilization, we can be more objective about it and we can see what is admirable or what deserves critique in a way that if you did it in a more realistic context, there would be um, layers of defensiveness that would prevent us from doing that. Yeah. We've talked about Star Trek before on this show, and we've we've said that exact thing about Star Trek, that there's so many, uh, basically that it's a philosopher's dream of, of yeah. you know, thought experiments, especially the ones where you say, what if there's a good and a bad side to us? And so Star Trek literally splits Captain Kirk into two paths and his good and bad side and explore. It's a very interesting philosophical exploration and a lot of fun. Um, let's move, though, to the fun that you have. I mean, this is I mean, part of your job, at least, is to, because I know you're a deacon as well, and you have other serious duties as well, we should mention that, but part of your job is to watch movies. I mean, most of us would kill for such a job. That's, I mean, how is it to come to work and go, oh, no, I have to watch, what's the latest one you were telling us that you've watched that we haven't seen yet? (laughs) uh, Disney's Disney's new um, uh, princess movie, uh, action princess movie, Raya and the Last Dragon, which is opening uh, in the United States this weekend. I, I don't know uh, what the what it's uh, when it's coming to Australia. Mm. Um, but I I've always been since college and and before I've always been a huge animation fan, and I do love Disney storytelling. And you know, even when I have problems with the movies, even when I critique the movies. It is, it is still, people say to me, ah, but you have to watch all the bad movies. You know what? Even the bad movies I enjoy watching. Um, uh, Richard, <laughs> Richard I have Corliss, a list for you. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Corliss at Time Magazine had a stock answer when people would say to him, what's worth watching? He used to say, everything is worth watching. Hmm. You know, because really, it's the, the, the act of engaging a movie critically even if it's a bad film, you can always grow as a person and you can always grow in your appreciation of art. Mm. Um, you can learn from bad films what yeah. makes films good or bad. Yeah. That's one of the things I love about the job. Uh, one of the, the great aspects of it as well is is the fact that it can be a shared experience. Um, we talk about these, uh, so many people now miss the, the event of going to a cinema and watching with their families. And I know a lot of my friends who grew up watching films with their parents and now they take their children to watch films with them and they they have these moments and they have these fandoms within the family that they've uh, experienced and shared. Mm. It is interesting how culture over the decades becomes more and more um, uh, kind of fractionalized and and hmm. and and dissipated in in the 1950s and 1960s culture was much more monolithic there were only three channels and everybody watched all the same things hmm. and uh that that was called at the time um you know television was was considered a vast wasteland and and there was a hope that for a more div- diverse culture in the future and but diversity comes at a cost you know hmm. the more options we have the less there is that unites us as a culture, the less common currency we have. Um, I teach CCD now at my church to uh, to kids from our, our church's Spanish 
community. And the challenge for me is we don't know any of the same cultural references. When I started teaching CCD in the 1990s, everybody knew Back to the Future. Everybody knew The Matrix in 1999 and, and beyond. Everybody knew Star Wars. And now I have to stand up in front of kids and talk to them. And there's nothing I can reliably point to that I know and they know. And that makes it hard to you realize how much these common images inform our communication. And, and yep. there is there can be a communication gap when we lack those reference points. And on the other side of it, though, Stephen, there's a I mean, I'm a lecturer at, at the University of Notre Dame in Sydney, and I often find that if I can refer to a movie, if I do have that in common with someone, that can be like a shorthand thing that really makes us leap forward in understanding. So if I talk about in a marriage and sexuality class, I talk about our our the way we're built for communion. I can refer to Castaway and how he, Tom Hanks has to kind of invent uh, <laughs> Wilson in order to commune with someone when he's lost by himself. And if people have seen the movie, there's an instant realization: oh wow! And that you know you can mm. leap forward because we have that common touchstone. But as you said, it's got to be that we've got the common touchstone. Yeah. But Ryan's referring to something here that often in you go to a party or you go to a social gathering and people will say, "Have you seen?" And then that's the beginning of the conversation. And in my own household, when I grew up, all my siblings, we marked our sort of coming of age moments when we were allowed to go. We grew up on a farm. So when we we're allowed to do this or when we we're allowed to go to this paddock or when you know <laughs> we're allowed to ride the bike or whatever, the, the, the motorbike, my kids seem to judge it based on when they get to watch whichever Marvel movie is you know, rated <laughs> so, such and such or, or whether they get to watch this. And my 16-year-old 16, 16 has just got to watch um, uh, Sherlock, the uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch series. Beep, beep, and this is a big milestone. Like it's the big, you know, I'm now a big guy because I got to watch Sherlock. <laughs> and I just realized this, this is the coming of age markers in our house. Mm. It is one of the things that uh, I, I love about having kids, and, and I, since I have seven children, uh, my, my oldest is 26, and the youngest goes down to eight years old. Lovely. Um, it, having having access to their cultural worlds has helped me in many situations to communicate with people that I otherwise might not have. For instance, they introduced me to Avatar The Last Airbender which I realized as I saw them running around, then this would be going back, I don't know, uh, maybe 10 years, yeah. running around talking about what kind of bender they would be. <laughs> and and it, it just, I, I realized what Star Wars was for my generation, this is yeah. for their generation. This is an access to a mythological story of good versus evil in a fantasy context with a supernatural element like the Force that gives them an imaginative access to the idea of divine mystery. Mm. Uh, and and um, that's... That's a powerful thing mm. in any generation. Yeah, a lot of my kids are still into the Star Wars Rebels and all those uh, early Star Wars ones. So, uh, and, but there's still a similar sort of access there. Sorry. You well, was... what's great about television series is you have so much more time to develop characters and grow with characters, right? Like one of the things that that was problematic between the jump uh, with the jump from uh, the TV series of Avatar: The Last Airbender to the film was that you didn't have that same time to develop the the connection with the characters. Um, and on that same note, I mean, we, we talked about the generational differences. Differences. You have a situation with uh, 
a recent such recent show, The Mandalorian, where you have that generational jump with the uh, with spoilers, uh, Luke Skywalker appearing at the end of uh, season two, and I-, I watched as lots of my friends who are parents and even my friends who are teenagers. Uh, watching these things for the first time, this whole fascination from both sides of having this young Luke there, you know. Um, Similar thing happened to me in Rogue One, right at the end of Rogue One. It was like oh. this, this chills moment when you realise that everything <laughs> connects perfectly. That was one of their best efforts recently. I've got to come to the question, though, that everyone of the parents out there are asking, and there seems to be a kind of a background hum in certain areas of the Catholic universe that, is Hollywood evil? Are they corrupting our children? Do we have to watch carefully every time we switch on the screen? Um, Stephen? What what I've always liked to say is there's a sense in which all movies are rated PG. Parental guidance is always suggested. I think the best medicine for parents – who are concerned about their children is don't look at the TV as a babysitter and spend, you know, that's how it, how it was 20 years ago when I started out today. Now I have to say, don't look as at the mobile phone as a babysitter, engage culture with your children, mm. sit down and watch movies and TV shows with your children. Talk about what you consume. Teach your children critical thinking. Um, when I when I I sat down and I watched Raya and the Last Dragon with my kids, I have to say um, my experience was very significantly colored by all of the very loud feedback that I got from them during the movie. <laughs> all of the, the the plot points that they called out before things happened, all of their reactions, all of their <laughs> they, they, they were they were not overly impressed by this particular film and. Um, you know, that's that's really and in a way it's really rewarding to me because it shows me that I've I've taught them well. <laughs> and, and and so there's there's there is a kind of there's a kind of a, a feedback between generations. But mm. but I find that children, especially young children, um C.S. Lewis said, children are so terribly Catholic, little C Catholic, meaning they're so open to everything from garbage to masterpieces. You can put on absolute dreck, like really terrible animated films, and children will watch it. And you can put on like masterpieces of silent comedy from Charlie Chaplin to Buster Keaton to Harold Lloyd. And children will watch that too, especially (laughs) if you're watching it and they see that you're excited. They want to learn. They want to adapt to that. They want to say, what is it that's interesting about that? I I can remember putting on uh, a... a, um, a, a, a silent action swashbuckler with Douglas Fairbanks Sr. And it's sitting down all by myself in the living room. And then one of my kids came and sat down beside me and then another and another. And by the <laughs> end, our whole family was watching it. Right. I, uh, sim- I'll put two uh, examples to you, Stephen. They sort of at the opposite end of the spectrum. I've um, started my youngest kids watching um, The Three Stooges and Abbott and Costello. And they're just on YouTube, so to get them mm. to watch clips and everything. And they will do this. Like if we have a like a 15 or a 20-minute gap before their bedtime, they're not allowed to watch a show or anything like that. Okay, can we watch Abbott and Costello? This is fantastic for me. I love this kind of thing. Uh, and the, the richness, they haven't – they're not yet teenagers, so they're not yet cool enough to say, oh, I don't like black and white. It's not good enough for me, that old stuff. So they're really – they've got the pure enjoyment of it. 
But one other time happened when I allowed my wife to pick the family movie for the family movie night, and she picked one. It's a legend now in our house, and she's not allowed to pick movies anymore. But she picked um, a movie called Furry Vengeance, which I highly recommended not watching. It's a Brendan Fraser one when he was at his absolute lowest point in his career. It has to be his lowest. Please, God, let it make it his lowest point. And it's got these kind of stuffed puppets, you know, punching him in the face, (laughs) pretending to be the local animals or something. Anyway, it was so awful. But what I noticed was my children wouldn't let me leave the room. I was in agony watching this movie. I wanted to leave the room. They wouldn't let me leave because it was family movie night Mm. and it was much more important that we endured it horribly together (laughs) than I left for the sake of, you know, (laughs) just not having to endure the art. That it, it has become a really serious social thing to share mm. that kind of experience, to have the same experience at the same time. So hmm. I, I'm suddenly thinking of one of my more horrible movie going experiences as as a young boy in the in the early 1980s, a comics collector. Um, I remember seeing an advertisement on the back of a comic book for a Chevy Chase movie called Modern Problems. Um, it was a rather <laughs> raunchy comedy in which he's exposed to uh, radioactive waste and develops telekinetic powers. But I was into superpowers. <laughs> right. and I didn't. So I was at a friend's house, young, as a young boy at a young friend's house, and, and the, the mother was going to take us to a movie for a birthday party. And she asked me, what do you want to see? And I said, I, I saw this movie on the back of a comic book for Modern Problems. We went to see it. It was completely inappropriate. It was If I had been the parent, I would have yanked the kids out of it. She didn't have, I think, the fortitude or, or the she wasn't prepared. And we, we sat watching through the whole movie, and I remember sitting in the middle of the movie thinking, boy, this is really inappropriate. I shouldn't <laughs> be watching this. But I always appreciated the fact that on the way home, she tried to bring something redeeming out of it. She mm. said, you know, when he developed those powers, how did he use them? Did he use them – did he try to use them to help other people or was it more selfish? <laughs> and, you know – it, 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 given given the fact that we had been exposed to it and that we she had watched it, I've always appreciated the fact that yeah. she she tried to do something positive with that experience. And I want to encourage parents to say, mm. no matter where you are in your cultural experience, you can always try to begin to move the discussion in a redemptive direction. Yeah, it becomes <laughs> a teachable moment. Exactly. Yeah. So – as we wrap it up, I've got one last question for you. Are there any movies that are coming out that you're excited about, that you're really looking forward to and you have high hopes for? Boy, um, you know, right now, at this particular moment in my life, um, as, as a journalist and as a deacon, uh, I've kind of taken a little bit of a step back from the whole movie beat, and I'm not super looking at what's coming up. But I will say this, the one major Hollywood series of which I have become an unabashed fan in the last several years is Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible movies. (laughs) They've gotten better, haven't um, they? You know, the last three, he's become so... so, I I was not a fan of of the series up until Brad Bird did Ghost Protocol, and suddenly I was like, I am so on board for this. (laughs) And, you know, whatever he does, I want to be there for that. You know, he's, he's a... I think he's a crazy man and I wouldn't necessarily want to be next door neighbors with him or have him. But when he becomes Ethan Hunt, 
I am a hundred percent on board and Mission Impossible seven, eight, and nine, I you know, just just bring them to me and and I'm a hundred percent there for that. <laughs> Fair enough. What about you, Ryan? Are you looking forward to anything? Uh to be honest, um as a big Marvel fan, it is all the the television shows that they've got coming, just uh I find that they're doing so much more uh character investigation in these uh in the television shows. Um interesting to see them move away from movies to television um but in terms of movies i i sort of take it as it comes now with the uh the whole covid and everything yeah, because it's all slowing down isn't yeah it? yeah i i have to say that i mean this is a very um more than pg rated show but um the expanse series is one i've read all the books and i love them and i've been watching the series it's one of those ones where the series is different and i don't mind that's a very rare thing for me that i don't mind that the series is different and i love every episode so i'm looking forward to it i'm a bit sad that they've decided to finish it before the books finish uh-huh. which is a sad thing but um yeah it's been a, a really good ride uh, just in case you're letting your kids watch that don't <laughs> it's very much an adult thing right That's it for this week's podcast. Thank you, Stephen, for being on. But if today's discussion got you thinking about movies, arguing with the podcast device, let us know. You can subscribe to the podcast. Tell us some other things we should talk about or other movies we should have mentioned. Continue the conversation on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Discord, and all the usual social media. Write us a review. And remember that this is a uniquely Australian Catholic podcast. We reckon that's a good idea. So we'll be back next week. But that's all for now. Thank you for listening to This Catholic Life. This Catholic Life.